You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. everyone welcome to tribe talk jim rosenhouse along with you this weekend from progressive field in downtown cleveland as we continue our indians off-season shows taking you through the winter time the baseball winter meetings all the transactions that will take place and then on into the build-up to spring training 2020 as the indians will report to goodyear in mid-february to begin another season Coming up on this week's show, great show lined up for you today. Two very interesting guests. We will begin with a visit from Johnny Goral, who just completed his 69th consecutive season working in professional baseball, his 38th straight with the Indians, and his 15th consecutive year as an advisor in the Indians player development department. Just about every player who has come through the Indians minor league system and every coach and manager, for that matter, has come in contact with a man who has just a wealth of experience in player development and the game of baseball altogether. And one of the things that we talked to Johnny about was how different the game is now compared to what it was when he first broke in as a player back in 1951. Well, I really never paid much attention to it. I was just happy to have the opportunity to play professional baseball. I was 17 at the time, right out of high school. I went to Bluefield, with, for, played for a manager by the name of Xavier Resigno, a really nice man. He was a former pitcher professionally. But when I walked into the clubhouse, I got a rude awakening because I walked into the clubhouse and they had they had slats on the floor over dirt that kept you from walking in the dirt and uh, being able to at least change your uniform and not get it dirty before you went out on the field. And we had a 16-penny nail hammered into the, the wood wall with our name over it, and that was your locker. So we'll hear from Johnny Gorl in just a little bit. Also joining us this week, the Indians' double-A hitting coach. His name is Justin Toole, and we'll talk to him about player development today in the Indians' minor league system at the double-A level and also talk to him about a book that he wrote called Nine in Nine, detailing his night back in 2012 when playing for the Indians' single-A ball club in the Carolina League. He played all nine positions in one game. Being a guy that bounced around from different affiliates and filled spots, uh, that game was kind of an opportunity for me to kind of showcase the unheralded uh, 
I guess, uh, feat of being able to play a lot of different positions. Um, I was a pitcher growing up in high school and college, so that was a lot of fun. Um, wasn't a catcher, so that was a little interesting, but uh, just a cool opportunity where the manager and the, the, the team was like, hey, you know, um, at the beginning of the season, uh, here you can play a lot of different positions. Like, let's see how that goes. And then a couple weeks in, they're like, man, you really can. Like, let's let's put it all together in one game at the end of the season and kind of ran with the idea. Also on this week's show, we'll hear from Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio, who has another Tribe tale. That's all coming up as Tribe Talk gets rolling on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. These guys are really hot. We've got a future. We're headed to the top. The right-hander Joe Ross delivering, and Lindor with a drive! Deep right field! Away! Back and gone! Into the second deck! And we've got a 1-1 game on Lindor's 32nd blast. Now that's the way to go into winter. A double, a homer, and the Indians fans uproaring. And there have been a lot of them this weekend in our nation's capital. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Our first guest on this week's show is Johnny Goral, an Indian's longtime advisor to player development. And uh, you want to talk about an opportunity to talk to someone who's had a lifetime in the game. Johnny turns 86 next week, and he began his professional playing career in the Braves organization when they were transitioning from Boston to Milwaukee back in 1951. This season marked his 69th consecutive year working in professional baseball, his 38th straight season with the Indians, 38, and his 15th as an advisor in player development. Not only was he a player in the minor leagues with the Braves and the Cubs, also the Dodgers and Twins, he also ended up spending about six seasons in the major leagues and most notably, 1963, had a good year in 64 games with the Twins. Hit nine home runs that season. That was his major league best. Ended up playing in 276 major league games. So that was the playing career. Then he moved on to a coaching career in the Minnesota Twins organization and actually managed at the major league level with the Twins back in the tail end of 1980 and the beginning of 1981. After his career with the Twins came to a close, he joined the Indians and has been with the Tribe since 1982, one of the longest-tenured members of the Cleveland Indians organization that you can find. If you go through the Indians Media Guide, it is difficult to find anyone who has been with the organization longer than Johnny Goral, and it is a pleasure to visit with him. We had a chance to do that prior to a game this season while the Indians are taking batting practice and uh, just a, a wealth of knowledge and information passed along by Johnny as uh, certainly one of the greats in the game. And here he is again. He'll be 86 next week, has been in baseball since 1951. And I asked him, hey, Johnny, what keeps you going at this point in your career? Oh, man, a love for the game, Rosie. You know, uh, I mean, you got to love something to keep after it. And 
the, the fact that you had the opportunity to impact some young ball players' careers and uh, maybe it's a little something of encouragement that you might say to them or something you might say to help them out. It's a lot of satisfaction in that respect. And the other thing I enjoy doing is is all the friends that I've made over the years. I get an opportunity to spend time with them and see them. Your first year in professional baseball, 1951. And we talk a little bit about minor league baseball these days. The facilities are really good. Anyone who's been down to Columbus has seen a beautiful ballpark spacious clubhouses, things like that. And uh, really the Indians try and give their minor league players as many good things to, to get them ready for the big leagues as possible, be it uh, diet, medical, things like that. 1951, Bluefield, West Virginia in the Appalachian League. Explain what you walked into there and, and what it was like as a young player there. Well, I really never paid much attention to it. I was just happy to have the opportunity to play professional baseball. I was 17 at the time, right out of high school. I went to Bluefield, uh, with, for, played for a manager by the name of Xavier Resigno, a really nice man. He was a former pitcher professionally, but when I walked into the clubhouse, I got a rude awakening because I walked into the clubhouse and they had, they had slats on the floor over dirt that kept you from walking in the dirt. and. Uh, being able to at least change your uniform and not get it dirty before you went out on the field. And we had a 16-penny nail hammered into the, the wood wall with our name over it, and that was your locker. Wait a minute. No, no, um, no electricity to, to recharge your iPhone or anything like that? <laughs> that was, I, I don't know if we had electricity. Let me tell you another thing about that, Rosie. We only had two shower heads in the taking care of 18 players and that was a little crowded at times. <laughs> We're visiting with Johnny Gorrell, now an advisor in the minor leagues for the Tribe, former bench coach for the Indians. So you go, you break in 1951 and, and you tell us about Bluefield. You had an opportunity to be on Mike Hargrove's staffs in 1997 and 1998. And uh, boy, those times were about as good as it gets for the Cleveland Indians. What was it like for you being a part of that? Well, probably the biggest thrill I've ever had in, in the game was the fact that we went to the World Series in 97. And what a, what a playoff run we had there uh, where we beat the Yankees. Sandy Alomar had a big, big series uh, for us in that, uh, that uh, first round with the Yankees. And we, and we beat them here in, in uh, this ballpark. I think it was in this ballpark. And... Uh, and I know that, uh, I can't remember who, it might have been Mattingly or O'Neill. I might have been O'Neill at the time. And he just missed hitting a home run in right center field that missed going out of the ballpark by about six inches that would have beat us. And we came back the next inning and won, won the game in extra innings. And we were on our way to Baltimore to play the championship round. And we, we beat Baltimore and then got the opportunity to go to Miami and play the Marlins down there. Biggest hot break I ever had in my life. You know, not being able to win that World Series, I'm sure I shared that with a lot of people here in Cleveland because we all, we were all pretty, pretty, we had a couple chances to win ball games, which we never did. 
and unfortunately, you know, we're still looking for that World Series ring, I am. Uh, you've been with the organization since 1982, and obviously some high points at the major league level there. A lot of your time has been spent at the minor league level, and what has made this minor league organization a constant feeder for, for the big club, and, and in your mind, a, a pretty successful minor league operation here? Yeah, um, you know, Rosie, over the years I've been here, most of my time has been in the minor leagues, but over the years when I went into the organization as a minor league uh, field coordinator uh, back in 1989, uh, we ended up being the, the model organization for player development back a few years after that, and a lot of it... We, we had a philosophy where if we had good people, we tried to hire them back to keep our organization stable and, and be able to teach players the way we would like to have the game played. And fortunately for us, we got a lot of, lot of good minor league staff that we retained and held on to. Just indications alone of what's happened in the game as far as the Cleveland Indians organization is concerned. We have general managers scattered throughout baseball. We have coaches that are former players here as well uh, that are coaching and managing in minor league systems. So actually people recognize, people, the baseball people are recognizing that and you know, we're all proud of the fact that that's uh, a, a trademark of ours and we try to do things the right way. We try to give the players, our players, the best of whatever it is that they need to become better of major league players and I don't know, I mean I think we do it the right the right way, Rosie, and I'm, I'm so proud of the fact that I'm part of that and I'm so proud to be in this organization this many years that they wanted me to come back, period. Hey, before we let you go, uh, obviously a lifetime in baseball, you you may have seen it all or at least close to it, and you worked for some people that, that certainly had uh, historic backgrounds, and maybe the most colorful would be Billy Martin. You were on yeah. one of his staffs with the Twins. Yeah. Um, how crazy was that? Was that uh, as uh, maybe different an experience as any that you've had in the game? Well, let me, let me tell you, if... <laughs> if a mistake happened on the field and you were a coach when that happened if as the if the player was a base in a base running situation and he screwed up on the field the player didn't get chewed out it was the coach I mean that's the way Billy operated he, he made it a point to that he made us stay on our game so that we could make the players stay on theirs and if you didn't tell them the number of outs and give them other hand signs like watch the line drive, make it go through, different scenarios like that. I mean, he was on top of the game at all times and he wanted you as one of his staff members to do the same thing. And in closing, um, nice day here in Cleveland. You've, you've been Lake County uh, going to Columbus. How long you wanna keep going? Well, I'm gonna play that one by ear right now, Rosie. Uh, I got some medical issues with my knees that I gotta take care of this uh, this fall, and we'll see how that goes. And if it goes well enough, I'll probably come back for another year. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. 
Johnny Gorl, great to see you. Always fun to catch up, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you, really. Nice being with you again. That is Indians advisor to player development, Johnny Gorl, who still travels around to the different minor league teams, as he has done for almost a lifetime. My first year in the Indians organization, 1991, with the Kinston Indians, and had a chance to meet Johnny for the first time then. He would come in almost on a monthly basis to check in uh, what was happening in terms of player development. And uh, he's old school. Uh, you know, wanted the players to, to wear the uniforms a certain way and respect the game, play the game hard. And it's uh, certainly people like him that uh, are that fabric of what keeps the Indians minor league system so productive. And I think we saw that this summer. There, there's so much development going on and new things in terms of player development. But I think there'll always be a place for the Johnny Gorals of this game. And hopefully he can keep rolling for uh, another several years. As he mentioned, uh, it might be coming to an end soon, but certainly a lifetime in baseball that has been tremendous for Johnny Goral, the Indians' advisor to player development. Hope you enjoyed that one. And on the other side of the break, we'll hear from Justin Toole, one of the new wave of player development people in the Indians organization, a former player in the Tribe Farm System, now the AA hitting coach, at least he was this past season, and we'll see where he's assigned for the coming year ahead. But a really interesting conversation with him coming your way after this timeout. Away, folks, this has got a chance to be a classic ending. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And we just heard from Johnny Goral, longtime member of the Cleveland. Indians organization, especially in player development, the past 15 seasons as an advisor, 38 years with the tribe. On the other end of the spectrum, the new wave of player development people coming through the system includes the likes of Justin Toole, who was a hitting coach at AA Akron this past season. It was his fourth year as a minor league hitting coach. He's been with Mahoning Valley, Lake County, Lynchburg, and then this year, AA Akron. He played in the Indians organization after they signed him as a non-drafted free agent out of Iowa back in 2009. And he spent seven seasons on the field as a player, reaching AAA Columbus on several occasions. And as we'll hear later on, certainly a, a career accomplishment and achievement that is unusual. He had an opportunity back in 2012 to play all nine positions in one game, and he parlayed that experience into a book called Nine in Nine. And we'll talk to him about that a little bit later on in our conversation. But he was up with the big club, as many of the Indians minor league instructors and managers were in the month of September. He joined the team for about a week or so, had a chance to travel with the Indians to Minnesota, and he talked about what that experience was like for him both personally and career-wise. Yeah, definitely. Anytime uh, you get to come up here and hang out and, and be around the guys, it's a, a great opportunity. So very excited um, to come up here after our season ended. And you're an Iowa native, but you have some good roots now in northeast Ohio. And let's get that right out in the forefront. Uh, you are in northeast Ohio athletic 
I wouldn't say royalty, but certainly <laughs> someone who's, who's very well known in Northeast Ohio, explain. Yeah, so uh, I married into the Hoyer family. Um, so uh, I met my wife, Lauren, um, when I was in Akron. Um, I was playing for the Rubber Ducks and she was going to the University of Akron. Um, and, and married into them, so I, I've become very familiar to St. Ignatius and, and Michigan State and, and the NFL a little bit with Brian's success as a, as a quarterback. So it's, uh, it's been cool, it's been fun. I'm slowly learning how many people they are, are friends with in Northeast Ohio. Um, but uh, it's definitely a great environment. Um, the city of Cleveland, it's, it's somewhere where I've come to call home with, with them being close and being part of the organization. It's, it's kind of a, a perfect fit for me. So it's something that I'm excited to be a part of and definitely excited to be part of their family. When you look at your career path, uh, yeah, I look at this major league coaching staff, and, and it seems, at least in the early stages, very similar to Mike Sarbaugh, a guy who played in the Indians minor league system for a while and then transitioned to a coach and then manager. Uh, you played in the system as well for a while. How, how did you transition to the coaching side of things? Um, it was it was an easy transition for me, actually. Um, playing uh, for guys like Sarbi as a, as a player, had him as a manager when he was in Columbus. Um, you know, having a familiarity with the way or the organization does things, the, their ideas, their goals for people, kind of the, the you know, the, the overarching themes that they present for, for the different players. Um, being a coach and understanding those things helped that transition tremendously. Um, you know, as a, as a player, I felt like I was able to kind of show the organization who I was as a person. And then when you get into the coaching part, it's like you don't have to try to necessarily prove yourself as a person. You can just hit the ground running with, with the coaching side of things. And, and obviously as a player, the way they, they treated me as a player, the opportunities they gave me, it's, I'm extremely fortunate for that. And when they offered me the opportunity to coach, I thought it was something that was too good to pass up. And the relationships and the, the, the uh, you know, friendships that I created as a player definitely carried over into the coaching part of it. So it, it made that transition uh, uh, almost perfect, I would say. Let's go back to your playing career. You had a very unique experience that, that not many players would ever ha even have the opportunity to do. Uh, during your single-A days mm -hmm. in the Carolina League, you had a chance to play each position on the diamond in one game. Explain how that came about and how it went. Yeah, uh, it went really well, way better than I probably expected it to go. Um, I was a utility player. I, I wasn't drafted. I signed as a non-drafted free agent, um, and part of that was to fill a spot in Mahoney Valley my first year and understanding how free agency works and trying to create value for myself as a player. Um, Travis Fryman was my manager, and I sat down with him, and he uh, said something that could give me value was learning to play as many positions as possible. So being a guy that bounced around from different affiliates and filled spots, uh, that game was kind of an opportunity for me to kind of showcase the unheralded uh, I guess, uh, feat of being able to play a lot of different positions. Um, I was a pitcher growing up in high school and college, so that was a lot of fun. Um, wasn't a catcher, so that was a little interesting, but uh, just a cool opportunity where the manager and the, the, the team was like, hey, you know, um, at the beginning of the season, uh, here you can play a lot of different positions. Like, let's see how that goes. And then a couple weeks in, they're like, man, you really can. Like, let's let's put it all together in one game at the end of the season and kind of ran with the idea. So it was a lot of fun that the staff and the players have and grateful to the organization for allowing me to do that. Uh, as a guy that doesn't necessarily play every day or, or, or play a single position, it was a cool opportunity for me to kind of showcase uh, what I do to help the team and help the organization. And you parlayed that game into a book. You're an author. Uh, nine in Nine is the book. Um, explain how that came about, and is it m about more than just playing the nine positions in one game? Absolutely. I, uh, I was challenged by a uh, performance consultant that I worked with in college. Um, I'm a very competitive person, and it was kind of like a you won't write a book about that uh, kind of challenge, which I, I had to obviously uh, take that challenge up. Uh, but it's, it's about each position. It's, it's nine chapters. Each chapter ties into a different position I played, but it also ties into a life lesson that I learned. 
uh, from sports. My parents are teachers. Um, I always grew up uh, giving lessons and doing things like that, trying to help younger players. So I looked at that as an opportunity to be able to kind of share my story and, and be able to hopefully encourage people, whether they're athletes or whatever they're doing, to try and follow their dreams and that anything is possible. Um, being in professional sports, you, you see a lot of people that have, have paths to where they are that are definitely not straight. They're their paths that are winding and curving take them into to different spots and different schools and different opportunities within uh, professional sports to get where they are and I think a lot of times um, people on the outside might not know that and think that they have to be perfect and that everything has to be easy for you to have success and really that's not the case so it, that game was an awesome opportunity for me to try and share my message of, of anything is possible if you work hard and, and have a good mindset. And circling back What's next now for you after after the double A season ends? What comes up next? Um, planning on doing a lot of a lot of camps with our, our minor league guys. Um, we've got some off season programs and some stuff lined up here at the end of September into October. Um, we've got a, got a lot of good young players um, in our minor league system that are eager to work, and so that makes it fun for us to bring them in for various times and, and get after it and help them make some adjustments and improvements moving into the season. That's Justin Tool, one of the Indians. Minor league hitting coaches spent this past season at AA Akron. Stay tuned. We'll have our final segment of Tribe Talk after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you for our final segment. And uh, just a reminder, if you want to catch our show, you can do so each week. It airs on the Indians radio network, usually 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock or so, somewhere in that general time frame, depending on the station that you listen to on the Indians radio network. You can also pick it up online at Indians.com. The archived editions are right there. And you can catch it as a podcast. Download it whenever you like at Apple iTunes, at Cleveland Indians Podcasts, or the iHeartRadio app. A couple of options there for claiming the Indians uh, Tribe Talk show as a podcast as well. Well, we conclude our show this week, checking in with Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio, who has another tribe tale. It's time for another tribe tale with Bob DiBiasio. Joining me now on this special all-star edition of Tribe Tales is former Indians number one draft pick in 1965, catcher, Ray Fossey, 1970 is your first full season as a big leaguer, and you are an all-star. The game is played in Cincinnati's Riverfront Stadium, 51,838 in attendance. It's an incredibly amazing, memorable game for you, Ray. Well, let's go back to the, the Sunday, um, which would have been July the 12th, the game on the 14th, Tuesday in Cincinnati, but caught another doubleheader in, in Cleveland, and Sam McDowell, his wife Carol, my wife Carol and I got on a plane and flew down. Carol and I had only been married, we got married April 4th of 1970, so this was, I mean, first of all, personally, to, to be an all-star in my first full year and, and have the first half that I did and be selected by Earl Weaver to be the backup uh, to Bill Freehand, who was voted in by the fans. But Sam and I got on the planes, and Bobby, at that time, there there were not a lot of the fanfare that goes on now with the parties and, and the home run derbies and all that. So as we got to Cincinnati, uh, we just checked in the hotel. The next day, Monday, we had the workout in the afternoon. And Riverfront Stadium, I'll never forget, it was so hot because of the artificial surface. The workout is like 100-plus 
And then you add the turf, which is even hotter. Guys were dancing around. But I was like a kid in a candy store, you know, being able to be an all-star. And, and I looked at the roster, uh, you know, as we're speaking, 49 years later, of uh, that game occurring. And I know that because that's 49th wedding anniversary <laughs> as right. well. But, uh, you know, you. there Good are 19 <laughs> Hall of Famers that were combined in that game in on that both game. the American National League, the late wow. Roberto Clemente and, and you know, Mays and, and, and all the greats on, on both teams. And, you know, to run up and down the dugout, I remember Harmon Killerbrew was saying, oh, there's a kid in his first All-Star game. And I'm going, yeah, and I've enjoyed every <laughs> bit of it. But uh, we had gone out the night before, which was Monday night after that workout. We're in the hotel lobby, and uh, Sam and, and, uh, and I and our wives were there. And, and Pete Rose walked up and said, um, you guys doing anything for dinner? I said, no. I didn't know Pete Rose from, from anybody. And so I was tagging along, and, and we go to dinner, ended up going to his house. And unbeknownst to, to me, I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, Great pitcher and, and you know all time hits leader. Eventually, and but his wife's name is it's Carolyn. So you know we have Carol, Carol, and Carolyn. You know, but but you know over years it's amazing how some people forget that. But I always bring up the fact that our wives were there at dinner, and it's you know we didn't go back to the hotel and go to bed at four o'clock. Uh, uh, my wife Carol and I went back, and you know one o'clock we were back. It was a night game the next day, so it's not like it was four or five in the morning. But uh, we were out to dinner, and then of course the the play that occurred. But you know one of the, one of the great things uh, about that All Star game number one being my first um, getting a chance to be there in the 51,000 my wife Carol had never met my mother and my mother God rest her soul Pauline Fossey Marion Illinois was sent into Cincinnati by the hometown people and they all signed this telegram this long I mean thousands of people had sent best wishes and the way my wife Carol recognized my mother they said she will have a dozen roses when she gets off the plane that's how I met, or my oh, wife met my, my mother. Because I had met Carol and when I was playing for the Indians in Class A in Reno in 66. She was going to school, University of Nevada, Reno. At the time, I went on to play in the minor leagues. She went on to teach. We met, got married in 70. I remember asking Alvin Dark, I said, hey, uh, hey Skip, can, can I get married? He says, uh, yeah, but I want you back. That We got married on April the 4th. He said, I want you back on the 5th because you're the starting catcher on April 7th in Cleveland. So my honeymoon was basically going to Reno where we met, getting married, flying back. And I was in uh, Tempe at the time. And I had some friends from my hometown look at me and go, wow, this is the major leagues. But I, you know, I celebrated my honeymoon that way, but got a chance to come back to Cleveland that year. And so when we were down there, I mean, when we got married, we hadn't met. My, my mother knew of Carol, but they had never met. So this is how they met. But my wife gave up her seats with the families and got an extra ticket for my mother. So they're sitting in nosebleed section. And Bobby, when the, when the collision occurred, my wife didn't know what happened. She, all she heard was somebody in transistor radio, well, there's been a collision at home plate and they're calling for an ambulance for Ray Fossey. My wife goes, what? You know, my mother said, what? You know, and, uh, you know, all this happened, but it, it was, it was a great fairy tale. And fortunately the numbers that I had pre all-star game, 16 home runs, over 300, and 41 runs batted in, and I never hit more than 12. I hit two with a broken shoulder the second half of that right. season. Yeah, you kept a playing. Fractured, separated yeah. shoulder. We went to Kansas City, and I was playing, uh, hitting fourth. I remember telling Alvin Dark, I can't lift my arm above my head. And he said, don't worry, just handle the pitching staff. I said, as long as they show strikes, I'm okay, because <laughs> I couldn't lift my arm up. But uh, it was a memorable time, but I was proud to represent the Cleveland Indians. And in that game, get a chance to hit against my former teammate, Gaylord Perry. Exactly. Got a, a, you got a hit, a, off, hit off and him. a sack fly. And, 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 and how about this? I'm thinking he's going to throw me a spitter. I'm going, right. what? A, how can you be so stupid in catching him in 72 That's and realizing right. that, you know, you don't look.
look for it and hit it. But I did catch Sam McDowell, too. And yeah. uh, I remember in that game, Bobby, Johnny Bench came up. And I'm thinking, we, we didn't have the interleague play. So the only time I saw a National League team was in spring training. We'd sure. see the Giants in spring training. And, right. and I don't remember anybody else, but uh, maybe the Cubs. But I remember Johnny Bench came up. And Sam McDowell had one of the greatest change-ups in all of baseball. He had a fastball mid-90s yeah. and a change-up that you know, just guys would screw themselves in the ground. So Bench came up, and I called a change-up first pitch. He swung and missed. I said, okay, change-up third. I threw. I called for three consecutive change-ups, change and he struck out. He looked, what are you doing? I said, you struck <laughs> out, didn't you? You know, but, I mean, future Hall of Famer. Wow. But, but, see, that's how great of a change-up yeah. Sam Howard, that, that he could throw that and nobody could hit it. And, uh, but, it but he was amazing to catch him. Um, and then with the bases loaded, the sack fly – it was almost a grand slam. And, of course, the first yeah. one happened in 1984 uh, with Fred Lynn hitting right. it off. Of, uh, uh, right. Uh, um, uh, actually, Jan Gomes' father-in-law. Um, can't think of his name now, but Hammaker. Hammaker. Uh, yeah. Atlee yeah. Hammaker. Atlee Hammaker right. gave up a grand right. slam to him, and Jan Gomes is married to his daughter. Yeah. But uh, that was the first in 84. I, I came close in 70. Yeah. But it was a thrill to play in the All-Star game to represent the Cleveland Indians. And, you know, that's a play at home plate that's going to be remembered forever. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, in the bottom of the twelfth. Bottom of, of the twelfth. Yeah, and, and I, I did learn something in the in the bottom of the ninth. Dick Dietz, he was with yeah, the they Giants. They scored three to he, tie well, it. Don't remind me, but <laughs> but the one thing I said to Dick Dietz as he was coming up, his nickname was Mule. I said, Mule, I'll see you in spring training. Bam, home run. They scored two, and he. I came back up. I said, now never say that, that again. again. You know, oh, yeah, because I mean, it's just one of those things sure. that you never assume yeah. until the twenty seventh. Exactly. Yeah. But they tied it, and uh, but the one thing, of the collision, and there's so many stories about it. But I never touched the baseball. See, over the years, people have written stories. Well, Ray Fossey couldn't hang on to the baseball. I always remind people, and if you're going to do a story, contact me because sure. I'll tell you the real story. <laughs> or actually, our daughters, Nicole and Lindsay, Nikki and Lindsay, said, Dad, Mom, why don't you write a story? So we did a RayFossey.com yeah. to tell the story about, about the way it was. Collision. You know, right. and everything because over the years, there have been all these revisionist things that have happened. But I want people to know that I was not blocking the plate, number one. I positioned myself where the ball was being thrown by Amos Otis up the line right. as Pete Rose was coming around. He hit me. My glove flew off my hand. Right. The ball flew over my head. Yeah. I never touched Touch the baseball. Right. I did a couple of flips. And, Bobby, for many years, I said, what happened to the baseball? Clyde Wright, who was the pitcher, works for the Angels. Yeah. And I said that and one I, time. Jarrett Wright's dad. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Good point. <laughs> but I remember saying that. And, Jarrett, and, and Clyde said, I caught it. I go, what do you mean? He said, everybody focuses on the collision. He said, I was backing up home. The ball goes over your head, me, yeah. and I catch it. He caught that's it where the, the ball, that he caught it on the fly. <laughs> oh and and that's what happened to baseball, something oh. I never knew. But, it, you know, it, it was great, again, as I reiterate, to, to represent the Cleveland Indians, the All-Star game, and to go with Sam. But so many stories have been told about that that are untrue. But that is the true story. We were out to dinner. I didn't know Pete Rose from Adam. Yeah. And then we end up having this collision. Mm -hmm. Hey, how could a friend do that? I said, you know, that's not a friend if you just meet somebody the night before. But a great, great time for me. I was selected the next year in 71. I couldn't play because, stupidly, I tried to start a fight and uh, charge the mound. But but that 1970 All-Star game was one that will always be a great memory because leaving on Cleveland after catching a doubleheader, going to Cincinnati and playing in that All-Star game, one I'll never forget. Well, remarkable story, remarkable memories. And, again, thank you for the trip down 
memory lane. And on behalf of Tribe fans everywhere, we wish you yep. and yours the very, very best, Ray. Bobby, thank you very much. And it's always great to come back to Cleveland, especially in a special year, to talk about a special time. And uh, my heart deep down is still with the Cleveland Indians. I wish you had won in 1997 <laughs> and, and 2016 when Rajay hit the home run. I'm thinking, yeah, they're going to do it yeah. and eliminate that stigma of being yeah. the last and the only team, the longest team without winning a world championship. But it will happen. But uh, as, a, as a member of the Oakland Athletics for many, many years now as a broadcaster, I still have to have my allegiance to them. But the Cleveland fans, Cleveland Indians are always deep down part of me. Well, it's always great yeah. visiting with her, buddy. Our latest tribe tale, Ray Fossey. That's Bobby D with another tribe tale. We thank him as always for his contributions to our shows on a regular basis. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. As always, thanks to Brian Matze for putting together our show each week. This is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance.